0: Welcome to the Energy Update presented by the Institute for Energy Research for the week of July 6, 2020. I'm Alex Stevens and I'm joined by IER's Deputy Director of Public Policy, Jordan McGillis. Jordan, what do you want to highlight for listeners this week at IER?
1: The IER blog roll is chock full of good content as always this week, but I want to highlight two big ticket items. First is a piece by economist David Kreutzer who joined IER earlier this year in which he reviews Bjorn Lomborg's new book, False Alarm. I have yet to read the book, and I don't believe you've read it yet either, Alex, but thankfully Dr. Kreutzer has, and and after reading his review, um, I'm eager to get the book and read it. It sounds as if uh, Lomborg has a very measured and calculated and uh, and rather sophisticated approach to these questions of climate damage that is being postulated versus how a, how a society and an economy can respond and and can, in fact, harm itself by responding too harshly politically.
0: Yeah, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I uh, Just earlier this week, I started Michael Schellenberger's new book, uh, Apocalypse Never, I believe is the title, mm-hmm. um, which seems to be something sort of along the same lines, a different approach to thinking about climate and energy issues. It's interesting, the summer has been Pretty good for content for I guess people who are interested in thinking about these issues in a different way, Robert Bryce's documentary, who we just had on the podcast the other week too, is sort of in that vein.
1: yeah, I think that we are seeing a strong year in this um, some might call it climate realist movement, and that it happens to be an election year doesn't hurt. I think that a lot of people try to time their their books to come out ahead of elections when the general public is a bit more attuned to political discussions but but we are having some some fruitful conversations uh, you're right as we as we progress through 2020 and um, that's in the context of course of the second big ticket item that I wanted to discuss and that is the recent proposal or plan that you might say that's come out from um, House Democrats and it's it's known as the climate crisis action plan very extensive document uh, heavy on buzzwords and ultimately, It's light on specifics, but it gives a ton of concrete recommendations uh, that are coming from the Democratic side of the aisle for approaching climate change. And they run sharply in in contrast with the realist approach that we're seeing from people like Lomborg and Schellenberger.
0: Yeah, and two things stood out in that for me. Uh, First is that as our blog Explains there's no cost estimates uh, anywhere mm-hmm. in the report, which is always sort of telling. But then also that it includes both national renewable mandates and a carbon tax, mm-hmm. which, you know, one of the arguments for carbon tax is to avoid the specific command and control uh, mandates of certain energies. Right. And, and this. uh proposal includes both. So it seems to sort of let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And
1: yep, I think that's what we're seeing. And and on that point, that's something that I've I've talked about fairly consistently over the last few years. I have a, a monthly newsletter. It's called the carbon tax ticker. And I pointed out what, what you just highlighted, that we are told by the Republican climate or pardon me, the Republican carbon tax advocates and those that generally identify as more libertarian, or more conservative, that a carbon tax is almost like a silver bullet. If you put this in place, the, the theory goes that you're able to capture uh, the externalized cost of emissions. And But that story only appeals to a very sli- very slim sliver of the legislature and of the, the general political public. It appeals to a small set of fiscal conservatives who are looking for what they would see as an elegant solution. But the, as this climate crisis action plan points out, the ardent environmentalist crowd has no interest in, in simple and elegant solutions to, to these challenges. What they want to do is try every means possible. And they don't really have um, that same confidence in the so-called market-based mechanism of a, of a carbon tax. Uh, so these promises that we're getting from groups like the Climate Leadership Council and others that try to appeal to the center-right are really disingenuous. They know as well as we do that for any for anything like a carbon tax to, to truly be adopted by by Congress, it would need to also appeal to the left. And the left does not want to eliminate regulations. They want regulations and a carbon tax.
0: Yeah, the proposal certainly seems to affirm arguments that I know you've made and people like Ben Zyker at AEI that carbon tax proposal that is actually presented to Presented by lawmakers is probably not going to be the ideal one that's written up by economists at a think tank. Uh, it's going to include mm-hmm. other elements, and it seems to be what's going on here.
1: Mm-hmm. Dr. Kreutzer has a uh, has has made witty remarks in the past, and I won't be able to, to capture it exactly. But he says something like, "A uh, trillion dollars doesn't walk down K Street without." Um, You know, getting stuffed into people's pockets, something like that. Those articles and more of the work from IER staff can be
0: found at our website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. And I also want to encourage listeners to keep an eye out for a podcast I recorded today with Gordon Tom of the Commonwealth Foundation in Pennsylvania. Uh, We sat down and discussed a recent report from the attorney general in Pennsylvania there that um, is sort of going after the natural gas industry. Uh, You can find the Plugged In podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or at IER's website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Alex Stevens.